Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, Veronica Roth tells us about her new dystopian mystery. So with my tinfoil hat on, I say our smartphones are already surveilling us. (laughs) But first, let's grab a cup of tea and a book and sit back and relax with two professional readers. With us this week, we have Lupita Aquino. She raves about books on Instagram as Lupita Reads. Lupita, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk books with you. Yay. We also have book critic Bethann Patrick, who is also the host of the literary true crime podcast, Missing Pages. Bethann, hello. Hello, Greta. So glad to be here with you and Lupita, one of my favorite bookstagrammers. Right. Yes, this is going to be fun. So since you two are such great readers, I think we should just talk books today. So I can't believe this is accurate, but it is almost November. And I saw a tweet the other day that said, (laughs) essentially, like, we're slowly approaching Let's Circle Back top of next year season, which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, that means for those of us who spend a lot of time reading and talking about books, it's almost time for, like, the best of the year conversations, Mm -hmm. which is wild to me. So I'm curious how many books you've read so far this year. Lupita, do you know your your number? Yeah, I have read about 60 books. Um, Oh, that's good. Yeah, um, I'm not done. The year's not over. I'm always like, (laughs) I'm always still have three more months. I still have three more months. (laughs) No, but that's, that's, I feel like that's a good number. I'm I'm taking it easy. Yeah, Yeah, that's like, I don't know. I feel like that's a solid number where you're obviously reading a lot, but you're not like, canceling other plans for it necessarily absolutely what about you bethan usually my years are between 175 and 190 books this year i am i am definitely taking it easier i feel like there's some been some books that i needed to really take time with this year Mm -hmm. and normally i keep a running list on my computer and so earlier this year i had a great problem. I I brought in a laptop um, to get a new battery. They convinced me to buy a new laptop, but then they erased all of my content before it had downloaded from the cloud. Um, Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I wound up with a free laptop, let me tell you. But I lost (laughs) my list. Uh, So I thought, you know what? It's okay this year. I'm just not going to have my it's list this the year. Art of letting go. That's it kind is. of beautiful in a horrible way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I will say I keep track of books in a little book and oh. I just write down the title and the month I read it in and the author, that's it. Oh. And 
I, I started it in 2013, so I'm really excited because this year it's going to be 10 years of actually keeping <gasps> awesome. up this list in this tiny book. Which, And I'm not going to, well, I could lose it, but it's not going to be because of a tech glitch if I do lose it anyway. Yeah, Just well, an idea, Bethann. <laughs> thank you, Greta. Thank you. Lupita, <laughs> how do you keep, do you, are you a spreadsheet person? You've got an Airtable so, going over there? Um, no, I actually use Goodreads. Um, oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, I've, I've had it for a while and everything that I read, I upload there. I am working towards making sure that I also write reviews because I know that reviews are really important for authors on Goodreads. Mm-hmm. I do it that way. I'm also venturing into Storygraph because I don't know if you guys know about the ongoing conversation that's going around with Goodreads being attached to Amazon. And mm-hmm. yes. So Storygraph is basically the alternative um, to, uh, to Amazon free website. Um, and it's also really interesting because they give you a lot of data. So the cool thing about that is they push out, you know, how many pages you're reading, they push out what topics that you're leaning towards reading. I get all techie with that. <laughs> That's fun. So one thing I was really interested to ask you both about is because it's something that I have notoriously been bad at, though I'm trying to get better at it. But I think there's also the whole question of numbers is like how and when you give yourself permission to not finish a book. I think especially as someone who does like to read a lot of books, you know, often there's sort of this halfway point thing where it's like, well, I've gotten this far, I might as well power through, which is like, also kind of a terrible attitude. To have. Where do you where do y'all fall on that? Lupita, do you have like a, a personal policy around? Oh, not finishing my stuff? goodness, you can't see my face, but I'm making one of those like ee face because I'm <laughs> so bad at this. I, mm. I have, I have asked people for advice on how to just DNF books. Yeah. Um, and I, I have only done it like maybe two years ago I did it. So I'm the wrong person to ask. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, and to be clear, for people who don't know, DNF means did not finish. It's a pretty standard abbreviation for, you know, like I tried, but I couldn't get into it. I don't know where it comes from. Do you? Well, you know, I first heard it when I was running a marathon. And so (laughs) they they, you literally, your your results say DNF. So maybe that's where that anxiety for me comes from. Oh, very interesting. What about you, Beth Ann? Oh, I don't finish books. Oh. I, don't, I don't finish books all the time. I need that power. I know. Give us your wisdom. <laughs> I tend to read probably up to 75 to 100 pages of a book before I give up on it. Mm. I recently read a novel that everyone's talking about. Talk, talk, talk. And uh, there was something that happened at the very end that made me so angry. Not only did did I wish I DNF'd it, but I wanted to throw it against a wall. Hmm. And that doesn't happen very often. And you know what? I want to feel things from the books I read. I want to, uh, you know, feel this makes me angry. This makes me think. This makes me, you know, I, I everyone reads for different reasons, okay? Right, and right. one of the things this year that I've really learned is how intense the group who only read to escape feels about mm. their reading. Because I, I had retweeted something about a guardian and a guardian piece of a critic who said, you know, why aren't we reading more difficult books? Why aren't mm. we, you know, grappling with difficult books? And I don't think he was saying we had to read you know, like medical treatises from the 19th <laughs> century. But um, when I retweeted it, lots and lots and lots of people came back and said, I don't want to hear this. I have a tough day. I need to escape when I get home. Don't tell me to read something difficult. 
I mean, but what's what is what is the word difficult? Like, how do you describe a right. difficult book? Like, I do think for me, there's a sweet spot of like, I love something that's trashy and plotty, but I also really appreciate and I'm so grateful for opportunities to read stuff that does get me outside of my comfort zone mm, and absolutely. introduces me to new perspectives. And, you know, I like what do you think, Lupita? Where do you fall on that? I mean, it's also like we've been living through a pandemic for the last three years, let alone any other fill in the blank stressor. It's sort of like, how, how are you deciding what to read these days? I always don't know where to land on the whole escape reading helps you escape Mm. because it does, you know, but I think that you can like read about difficult things and difficult topics or even a complex book sometimes. And that could be your escape, you know, like mentally, it's so difficult that you're engaged with it. I do think that the problem is that it just applies differently to everybody. You know, like we define difficult book differently. We define uh, reading for escapism differently. Um, you know, I might say, okay, my escape of from reading is reading Ada Lamone's poetry, right? Which maybe mm-hmm. somebody might consider, oh, but she grapples with really difficult themes in her poems sometimes. And I cry when I read them, you know? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's a difficult, uh, here I go using the word difficult again. <laughs> difficult thing. <laughs> It's difficult to determine what is difficult. I think it's very apt. I think it totally works. I I love that. I mean, I also really like the idea of just mixing things up. You know, it's like rom-com, thriller, literary, you know, like I I think that's really pleasant. And I think my brain really likes that, too. And then like dipping into sci-fi a little and like, you know, I think a good mix can just feel really good. It can. And that's the way I I like to read, you know, when I can is, uh, as you said, going from sci-fi to thriller to cozy mystery to big, important novel, you know, Mm -hmm. of the moment and uh, so on. It it is. And and for me, that is escape and entertainment. Mm -hmm. But as Lupita said so, so wisely, those things don't get defined the same way by everyone. Yeah, totally. So to that end, I would love to know, I'm going to put you all on the spot and ask you what your favorite book is of the year so far. I know favorite also can be very difficult to define. I know favorites are just like kind of impossible in general, but um, I don't know. I mean, you could fill in the blank on that too. Like most resonant, most interesting, the one you're most excited to rave about. Um, You know, there's a lot of options, but Lupita, what do you think? So I'm going to define that Greta as, <laughs> as, as books I that I push the most that, um, yes. I, that, you know, people are like, um, I read this because of you and oh, you talked about that. this so much. So I have three um, that I want to be known for. <laughs> Great. I love that. Uh, the first one is How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water by mm. Angie Cruz. She wrote this just beautiful novel of an immigrant mother. Um, and it was just, it, it's just so stunning. It's a beautiful book. Um, and the next one is uh, The Town of Babylon um, by Alejandro Valera, who is on the short list for the National Book Prize in nice. Fiction. I'm really excited about it. It's a really big-hearted gay book about family and community and public health. I mean, brilliant, truly like a brilliant novel. Um, and last, All This Could Be Different oh. by Sarah Thankham Matthews, which is awesome. Oh, you took it. You took it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will let you um, love on that one. But you said one, but I said three. I was like, I want to be love it. No, I love that. I appreciate that. <laughs> that's so funny because that's the one I was going to say too, actually, which I haven't even finished yet, but I'm in the middle of it right now. And I have had 
Like I've just been spending hours with it over the last couple of days and it's just so good. It is. It is incredibly, incredibly good. It is about, you know, what it's like to be in that kind of early part of your career and trying so hard to bring yourself up to whatever you think is the next level. And it's about, um, you know, having parents back in India. It's about being queer. It's about being, um, you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time and Mm. then the right place at the right time. It is gorgeous prose. And it's a National Book Award finalist. And so everyone, you need to read it. And Lupita, thank you so much for letting me love on it a little. (laughs) (laughs) So before I let you go, I'm curious if there's anything that you haven't gotten to yet, but you want to make sure to check out before the end of the year. Oh, another, look at all these hard questions, Lupita, know, that she's I, asking you, us. You go first. You go first. <laughs> I, I oh, oh, my gosh. Uh, before the end of the year, I have so much that I, um, I'm just looking over. I, know, I right? have to, I just got the big brick of the new, um, oh, hang on, hang on a second. I, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> I really am. It is the, um, here we go. A a Day of Fallen Night, the new Samantha Shannon that comes after The Priory. It's a a standalone prequel to The Priory of the Orange Tree. Oh, interesting. Anything that's got kind of like this, you know, crazy, fantastical, medieval world, but with, you know, women Mm. sort of in dynamic, you know, powerful positions. It is. It is exciting. And this one looks really, really great. Lupita, you better uh, better have something to talk about. <laughs> oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, Go. Uh, so I'm finishing up Maria Maria and Other Stories, which was also, which was initially long listed for the National Book Award by Maritza K. Rubio. And it's like these like short stories that feature magic and just like wild creatures and like, oh, you know, they're Mexican-American characters. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So I want to finish that. Um, but so far, I'm loving it. Uh, of course, I don't know if either of you read Celeste Ng's newest book, oh, Our yes. Missing Hearts. Oh, my God, did yes. I love it. Okay, That's you... our book club okay, pick this well, month, actually. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, then I want to read that one. So many books, so little time. How do we do it? We just keep trying. We just do our best. Well, Beth and Lupita, thank you both so much. This was very fun. Y'all are the best. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Great to talk to you both today. In just a minute, Veronica Ross tells us about her new book, Poster Girl. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Our next guest is Veronica Roth. She, of course, is the author of the Divergent series, among many other books. Her new book is called Poster Girl, and it is her second adult novel. 
It takes place in a dystopian world where one totalitarian government, the Triumvirate, took over from another one called the Delegation. Our protagonist is Sonia, and she was only a teenager during the uprising, but her face also just happens to have been on a propaganda poster for the delegation. So now, 10 years later, she and a number of other delegation sympathizers had been sentenced to life in a miserable city block. Veronica is here with us now. Veronica, help me out. Is that a sufficient setup for this conversation? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I will sometimes say that she gets offered a deal by an old enemy. Mm, Ooh, yeah, that's fun. That's really fun. And and it's true. Yes. So I could totally picture a book where the that's about the uprising that's about 10 years before where we start. I'm curious what to you was narratively appealing about, like not even immediate aftermath, but you know, a solid decade later. Well, I think The book really came together when I realized that the character I wanted to write about was not some kind of traditional hero, you know, which is kind of my Mm. usual tactic. I wanted (laughs) to write about someone who was experiencing a lot of grief, but also kind of encountering her own guilt and complicity in this regime that had caused so much harm. So I think it needed to take place 10 years later so that she could come to terms with that in the aftermath of the delegation's fall. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you use the word complicity because it's one I found myself thinking about a lot. I mean, you know, even like the poster that her face is on, it says right is right. I feel like there's just a lot around this in this book around the idea of of moral certitude, but also complicity and and how complicated it all is, you know? One thing that we have trouble holding in our minds, you know, because there's a natural tension is the idea of being a victim of something and also a perpetrator Mm. at the same time, which I feel like is what happens under authoritarian regimes. You end up, you know, telling on your neighbor, but also because you're under this, this oppressive system that is incentivizing you to do so, which is not actually your fault. I was interested in exploring that tension um, because I have sympathy for Sonia and I also Mm -hmm. have judgment for her. Mm So a lot of the novel hinges on the idea of a piece of tech called an insight, which is essentially like a computer in your brain, um, which, you know, allows for some really interesting, like you could watch a movie with your friend who's in a different place, but it also obviously facilitates mass surveillance, which is super problematic. Um, we aren't there yet, but arguably or we are we? <laughs> far. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think about all the data collection that can be happening right now and you know just the different ways that even we like can or can't control how the extent to which we are perceived um so yeah what's (laughs) what's your read on it how are you feeling about all the things these days (laughs) oh my gosh so the more research I did for this novel Mm. the more paranoid I became um yeah and I would like infect the people around me with it they Hmm. would you know, talk about, oh, I think my phone is listening to me and be Mm. like, well, it is. (laughs) And the government's buying your data. (laughs) Right. So I think I was everyone's least favorite person for the time that I was writing this book. (laughs) But it is true. Um, So with my tinfoil hat on, I say our smartphones are already surveilling us. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I just really, I just learned recently that in Instagram, you literally have to turn off the microphone setting, because otherwise it is just listening all the time and serving really? you ads based on what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Now there's another thing I got to do. I know, right? <laughs> you're a person who's on the Internet who has a pretty significant following. Do you think writing this book changed at all? Like how how you're moving through the digital world? 
It did. I actually decided to go on a six month social media hiatus while I was writing the bulk of this rough draft. And partly it was like a kind of method acting thing um, because, you know, Sonia is connected to this system that she perceives as friendly, which I think we do with social media in general. We're like, okay, well, this is where my friends are. This is where right. I see cute puppy videos. Like, this is a good place. This is where I can look things up if I don't know the answer to whatever. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So she loses this abruptly. And I wanted to feel at least to a certain, a small extent, the kind of psychological effects of that myself. Mm -hmm. But then I also, it's just like overloaded on social media during that part of the pandemic, because it would have been like six months of lockdown. And then, you know, we were still all stuck inside waiting for the vaccine. And I was totally overstimulated at all times. So Mm. I took a break and I did all this research. And then when I came back, I wasn't really able to come back in the same way that I had been on before. I feel a healthier distance from it now that I took that big break. So I mentioned it's the delegation that falls. The triumvirate takes over it. At this point in our story, we're many years into the triumvirate, but in a lot of ways, we're pretty disconnected from it just because Sonia is so disconnected from it in her, you know, city prison that she lives in most of the time. I'm curious, like, is the triumvirate isn't necessarily any better, right? My thought is that it's messier, but Mm. in... A lot of ways it is better because they are not watching people 24-7, which is sure, nice. sure. But yeah, they do have um, corruption and they have disorganization and disorder. And that's just the way the cookie crumbles. I feel like when a regime mm-hmm. falls, what replaces it is not necessarily perfect um, or even a fulfillment of what people believed it would be. That kind of comes from my experience. Uh, I, I go to Romania like almost every year Hmm. um, because my husband does some work there and some of his family lives there. And they, you know, obviously lived under an oppressive regime with Ceausescu. And then after that revolution, what replaced that government is ostensibly democratic, but still struggles with like deep corruption and Hmm. a lot of, a lot of other things gone wrong. So I think it's just observing that helped to kind of teach me what what a world might look like after a regime like this falls. Yeah, it's really interesting because you're right. I mean, people aren't being surveilled, but there is still there seems to be such an unease around the people and general kind of discomfort too. like it's not like and there are more creature comforts, I suppose, outside this prison than inside. But there's still a lot of uncertainty and and, you know, people can't travel really. You know, I mean, it's still not ideal. (laughs) Right. Yes. I mean, it's an unstable recovery. So I think my thoughts about it is that it would take time to rebuild after something so, I don't know, something that dominated society so deeply um, and so much after it collapsed, it would be utter chaos for quite some time. Mm -hmm. So there's a big theme in this book, which you I feel like you kind of we sort of like hinted at earlier, but I think it's really interesting one, partly because I definitely see it in in chosen ones too. the idea of sort of being best known for something traumatic in your past or or something that like you didn't really have control over or actively choose, but ended up be becoming sort of a defining moment. It's something that I find really haunting and fascinating. I imagine it's really engaging to write, too, huh? Yeah, I. I think, (laughs) I feel like this question inevitably dances around me being known for something in the past, (laughs) Um, which obviously is not a trauma. It's like an amazing Mm, thing. But um, 
you know you mean having written divergent as young as you were essentially. yes sorry i should give meaningful no that's fine no there. we can keep tiptoeing <laughs> <laughs> yeah divergent you know that yeah thing. Um, yeah because how old were you when that came out i was 23 okay I think. yeah that's wild so i think just inevitably like anything that you're known for that you did when you were that young i mean i was right. older i think than sonia or uh sloan in chosen ones when mm. they did their big famous thing but mm. Uh, it's very strange to to think about how out of control you feel. Um, right. Ten years later, you're like, okay, well, I don't even remember what I was thinking about at that time because mm-hmm. um, it's just been too long. So I think um, my fascination with it comes from just the the thoughts I have about you know about my own experience. But uh, obviously, for these characters, it's so much more dramatic and mm-hmm. negative than my own feelings. Well, I mean, I could see that, like, even as positive as that whole experience must have been in a number of different ways, I, you got thrown in the deep end so intensely, too, I'd imagine, just because of the success of those books. You know, I did get, like, some news things written about me that weren't great. Sure. I got um, some internet death threats, you know, there's the <laughs> usual things of yeah. being a woman on the internet. But I also had, like, an, a kind of undiagnosed anxiety disorder at that time. So I think mm-hmm. that contributes to some of the struggle that I had. So I'm a lot better off now. That sounds really (laughs) hard. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm sorry you went through it. That sounds very difficult. Ah, it's all right. But thank you. It kind of reminds me of something in the book that I thought was really lovely. One character tells Sonia that, that she needs to go somewhere where no one can recognize her to kind of figure out who she really is. Is that something that you feel like you've had a chance to do in the last 10 ish years since Divergent came out? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the initial fervor around the series and its adaptation has sort of subsided. Um, and I do feel like things are quieter and more normal now than they were during that time. Mm. But I also think like that sentiment came directly from the social media hiatus that I took. Mm, Like find out, find out what you do when nobody's watching. Like, do I use my phone camera if I don't post on Instagram? As it turns out, not really. Yeah. Um, I don't take huh. pictures of things. Like I'm just a I'm a different person when I'm not even considering Instagram. And I wow. I do enjoy certain aspects of it. I like the connection to readers that it gives me, but I kind of wish I could have one without all the rest. So you talk about all this research you did and, you know, your break from social media and I don't know. I mean, I can definitely say that you have spent more time thinking about dystopia than I have in general. Well, most people, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, probably most people. I'm curious. I don't know. We're like here in the U.S. We're at such a weird place. And I don't know. I'm just curious, like how you feel about the state of things in this year, 2022. A few years ago, people started saying to me like, oh, well, we're living in a dystopia now. And I found Mm. it really frustrating. So I get Mm. it, but I found it frustrating. And the reason is because I find that when people say that it's almost what they're like, like a big shrug, like, well, there's nothing we can do about it now. Mm. We're already in it. It's like, no, 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 no. Right. (laughs) Like you should take advantage of the things that we, the outlets that we have to make change. So if you're if you're feeling like we're living in a dystopia, like let's let's do something. You like, should let's, probably do something about like, that. Let's yeah. get out there and vote and protest and mm. you know pester your congressman and mm-hmm. go help your neighbors. Like that that should be a motivating thing. And obviously, like I can make many improvements in this in my own life. So I'm not trying to be 
um, project that judgment outward. But I just feel like let's not just call it a dystopia. Let's like work to make it not one. Like we can still go on the internet and insult the president. And I feel like that is, that's a big deal. That means that all hope is not lost. If you still have the freedom to speak um, Mm -hmm. and speak out against your own government, like that is a huge, that's a huge deal that we still have that. Yeah. That first amendment really encapsulates a lot for sure. Indeed. Cherish it. (laughs) Well, Veronica, thank you so much for talking with me. This was really a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. that's it for this week i can't wait for you to hear our discussion of our missing hearts which is of course this month's book club pick that comes out on tuesday and our guests this month are rapper and poet dessa and npr host elise hugh it is a very fun one keep an ear out for that of course you can also keep in touch with us and other nerdat listeners in our facebook group you can join that at facebook.com slash groups slash hq the show is produced by me and Anna Bauman, along with Sam Deer. Our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. I hope you have a lovely weekend. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.